All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. <clears throat> One day, when Job's son and daughters was feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with the news. Your oxen was plowing the donkeys, feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals, killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, shout, while he was still speaking. Another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Jadinian raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one uh, who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, shout, suffering. Another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. It collapsed. All your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Shout suffering. suffering. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head fell to the ground to what? Worship. Worship. And then here's what he says. I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. He can take it away. Praise or blessed be the name of the Lord. Then verse 6 in the next chapter simply reads this. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said. Satan, but spare his Life, or in the King James Version, don't touch his soul. Shout amen. amen. God, do something special today, would you, in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, if you're just joining with us, I encourage you to go home and listen to the message from last week that's uh, on our website because I, I took time to give a full overview of the book of Job, and I think that's important uh, as we engage. Today, I just want to start by reminding you the structure of the book. There's three major sections in the book of Job. First, there's the prologue, the first two chapters of the book. And I talk about it in terms of a split screen. Everybody shout, split screen. In other words, uh, there you, it's, it's, you see two things happening. You see the dialogue that's going on between God and Satan. And you also see uh, the, the suffering that is befalling Job. And so uh, it's important that you keep that in your mind, both sides of that, as you read through the book of Job to be informed by it. The second major section is three cycles of dialogues that take place between Job and ultimately his four friends about the question of suffering and evil on Job's part in it and God's part in it. The last one is the last section is the epilogue which is in chapter 42. I particularly love chapter 42. If you've read through the entire book, you get to chapter 42. It is a reminder that God has the last word, regardless of what suffering you're going through in your life, if you trust him uh, uh, to, to have your life. Uh, so tell the person next to you, there's a chapter 42 in your life. Tell them. It's a chapter 42, chapter 42. Just hold on. That's a chapter 42. So, uh, having given you that, let me now, everybody say, 
Homework. homework. Oh, you didn't say it like you was enthusiastic about it and excited about it. Let's try it again. Homework. homework. Yes, 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 yes. Here's your homework. Someone said, I'm in church. Are you serious? Yes. So I need you over the course of the next seven days to read the first 14 chapters of Job's. If you haven't already gotten started, it'll drive you through the first cycle of dialogue, through the prologue and the first cycle of dialogue. It's easy. Two chapters a day over seven days will get it done. It'll take you about 20 minutes to read, both 15 to 20 minutes, depending upon uh, how you know, rapidly you read, etc. And have a little notebook and take insights and notes as you, as you read so that God can continue to do a deeper work in your life and it helps you to keep up uh, and participate as we do this uh, series. Tell the person next to you, if I got to read, you have to read too. Tell them. <laughs> All right, so let's get busy. Um, the primary theological point that the book of Job is wrestling with, I'm going to state it this way. It is that good people... Godly people do experience unearned suffering. Or to put it another way in terms of contemporary terms, bad things do happen to good people. And it is no fault of themselves. Everybody shout unearned. Unearned. I'm saying that it's undeserved. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Now, there's another category of, of consequences and bad things that happen uh, that it's, it's earned because we can do some stupid stuff. And uh, if you leave a party drunk and you get behind the wheel and you drive and you end up in an accident and then you end up in the hospital for six months, you can't call that unearned suffering. That was just because you were crazy. You got drunk and got behind the wheel rather than getting somebody to drive you home. So that's a whole nother category. We're not talking about that kind of suffering as it relates to Job. We're talking about unearned, undeserved suffering that flows into your life. There is a psychologist by the name of Jonathan uh, Hart who, hate who uh, did a lot of work around suffering and post-traumatic syndrome and all that stuff. And for years, he only saw suffering through the lens of the negative stuff. Uh, a few years later, a few years ago, a good friend of his who he named, he writes about this, it's a true story, uh, but he calls his friend Greg just to keep his name uh, uh, not public. So he named him Greg. And he tells the story that Greg uh, was an assistant professor at a small school, he was working on a book, came home one day and discovered that his wife had left him, Greg that is, for another man. And she took the two kids with him. He went into about a year and a half plus of fighting legally trying to secure the custody of those kids. Can somebody shout suffering? Suffering. suffering. And so he finally secures the custody of the kids. The way it turns out, at the end of the day, he ends up a single parent uh, with a a, a poor paying job, uh, unable to finish the book that was going to be huge to his success, and his kids suffering mentally from all of the distress that they were in. And he almost reached the point of hopelessness. Everybody shout almost. almost. But 
Greg was and is a person of faith. He was part of a church community. And what happened is that the church surrounded him and uh, they, they brought meals, they babysat, they did a variety of things. That's why here we push small groups. We call our small group life groups because, because when you become a part of a small Christian community, they're able to do life with you. And when you're going through trouble and you say, where is God? Your small group will remind you God is here through us. Shout small groups. So I want to encourage you, if you're serious about going to the next step with God, join a small group here. We have 60 plus of them. And so his church stepped up. His parents stepped up. They sold a house that they were living in on the West Coast, moved uh, across the country so they could help raise the kids. And finally, his life began to turn around. And Greg was talking to his friend Jonathan, the therapist, one day. And Jonathan said that Greg said something that brought tears to Jonathan's eyes. And, and, and Greg says uh, to Jonathan, he says, listen, he says, in many operas, there is this uh, thing called the aria. And he said, it is, a, it is a time during the opera when the soloist uh, takes a sorrowful event and by the time she or he keeps finished singing about it, they have turned a sorrowful event into something beautiful. And Greg said to Jonathan, this is my aureo. That he started singing something that was sorrowful in his life, but because of God being at work in his life, it has turned into something and somebody say, wow. That, that's, that's what the, the praise team, by the way, was singing about just a few moments ago when they were singing about nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away my sins. And if you're not familiar with Christian theology, it was like, I don't know. I don't think I want anybody's blood on me. What does that mean? Uh, uh, but what it really means in the Hebrew tradition, the blood represents the life of the person. And when it says nothing but the blood of Jesus, what they're saying is that Jesus poured out his sacred and holy and eternal life on your behalf and on my behalf. And on that basis, he's able to say to you and to me, I forgive you whatever the sin is, I forgive you. I've paid the price with my own life. And by pouring out his life, he was able to kick a door, a, a hole through the wall of death. And so it becomes true that anyone who believes in him shall not perish, whether it's cancer, whether it's whatever the destruction, when death comes, shall not perish because there's a hole in the wall of death, but shall have everlasting life. So as Jesus dies on the cross, that's his aureole, y'all, taking something sorrowful and making it beautiful for you. And for me. Isn't that awesome? Come on, let's give God a hand praise. That's what we celebrate. And so, bad things do happen to good people. Everybody shout, why? Well, the book of Job makes it clear. When you read it in the prologue and you see certain verses repeated, that's the writer of Job's way of saying to you, 
pay attention. I'm making a powerful theological point here. And when it comes to this question, why does good things happen to bad people? The answer from Job's perspective is because evil is loose in the world. Tell the person next to you, evil is loose in the world. Now, I shouldn't have to <laughs> persuade you of this point, right? Uh, 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 but in the, in the book of Job, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, you know, God says to say, hey, say, say, where, are you, where are you going? Where are you coming from? And, and he says, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth over it, looking for how he can cause destruction. Evil is loose. Now, in the prologue, there are three characters that draws your attention. The first is certainly God, God who creates and redeems creation. The second is Job, who represents innocent humanity under attack by unearned suffering. The third is Satan that represents evil, an expression of evil itself. What happens is that when you get into chapter 4 and start reading through the three cycles of dialogue, notice, I want you to pay attention, there will only be two subject matters. They will only be talking about God. Did God do this? Is he doing uh, this thing to you, Job? Is he right? Is he wrong? Is he unjust? Or they're talking about Job. Job, you must have done something to cause God to, to dog you out like this. Obviously, there's sin in your life. Job says, no, there's no sin in my life. I don't deserve this. God is kind of dogging me out. So it's back and forth between it's either God or Job, God or Job. No mention between chapter 4 and chapter 32 of evil at all. And so the insight, theological insight, is that when you're trying to figure out why this bad thing happening to good people, Job tells you because evil is real. It's real. Third insight is, this is important, uh, it, it, listen, third insight is that God can take evil and bend it towards his purposes. All right? All right. Yeah, a lady asked me after church on last Sunday, she said, why was God talking to Satan in the first place? <laughs> why are you talking to the devil? I don't understand why he's talking to the devil. And, and uh, I chuckled when she first asked because I had this thought that came to me, but I didn't say it because that, she was really serious and that wasn't the time to say what, you know, you shouldn't say everything that comes up in your mind, right? <laughs> Even if you're a preacher, you just don't say everything that comes to your mind, right? <laughs> but, but the thought that came to my mind was, my, you know, I, I've talked to some devils in my life. <laughs> I bet you talked to some devils in your life. Why are you talking to devils? Come on. All right. <laughs> but I didn't say it. I didn't. Come on, tell somebody. He didn't say that. He didn't say it. <laughs> so what I said to her, I said, that's Job way because it shows up in chapter one, uh, verse seven. It shows up again in chapter two uh, again. And that's Job way of saying that God is able to take evil, whatever it is, its expression, and bend it to make it serve his purposes. Now, that's pretty incredible. Now, some people say, well, I believe in the devil, I believe in God, or they'll say, I believe in evil, uh, and I believe in justice, 
And if you ask them, well, which one is the most powerful? They'll basically say, well, you know, the devil is pretty powerful and God is pretty powerful. And, you know, this is whatever justice and evil they're just competing. They're basically reasonably the same. There's this kind of dual view of reality. That is not the view of reality of Scripture. It is not the view of reality of Jesus' followers. Because, listen, evil is powerful. But God is all-powerful. Come on now. That God, at the end of the day, is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and he's the end. And he reserves the right to have the last Word And so God is able to take evil at its worst and bend it, make it serve his purposes ultimately. You heard the poet says, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Who's doing the bending? God is able to bend evil. Whatever happens in your life, he can bend it to make it serve. All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called. God can bend evil and make it serve. Man, isn't that awesome? Come on, y'all just give God a hand praise. I, I, I get encouraged. I get encouraged. Well, here's, here, here's the implication of that insight. Uh, Jonathan, who's the therapist in, in the story I'm telling you about, true story, for a number of years had focused on the negative of impact of suffering. For example, he talked about post-traumatic syndrome, the stuff that happens to people who go through near-death experiences or divorces or whatever, and all of the negative effects of that. But after talking to his friend, he went back and visited his friend, about a year and a half on the other side of the entire experience, by then, his, spirit, his friend had gotten a new job. He'd actually finished writing the book, and it had been published. Due to the support of his family and his church, uh, he had settled in and had a strong parenting relationship with his kids. His, his life had written uh, right side up, and he was just doing wonderful. And, and so what Jonathan discovered, the therapist, he, he, he coined a phrase. He says, suffering sometime, listen to me, can produce post-traumatic growth. Now, now, let me just put a disclaimer here. I'm not celebrating suffering. I'm not glorifying suffering. I'm not saying, hey, I'm ready to suffer. No. That is not me. As a matter of fact, I would like for God to hear right now, listen, God, I think I've had enough suffering in my life, and if I don't have any more suffering for the river, I'm really good with it, all right? That's kind of where most of us are. Nobody wants to suffer. And yet, what we've discovered in, with empirical data is that sometimes if you let God have his way in your life as you work through whatever the suffering moment is, that there are times that God, remember, he bends evil to make it serve his purposes. God can use suffering to make you better. And his friend Greg had become better. Three ways you can notice how God can make you better through suffering. First is, usually, and, and this is super true 
for people of faith. Who believe that God has the last word. Who believes that God is always at work no matter how tough the situation is. The first thing they find that folk who go through suffering, they are more resilient. You have the ability to bounce back. Because at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, if you, if you were down on the mat because of the divorce, if, if, if disease puts you down on the mat, but, but, but with the power of God, you got up again. Come on, now, it might have taken you a few weeks, may have taken you some months, but you got up again. Then you know that whatever awaits you in the future, even if it knocks you down, can't keep you down. Because if you got up yesterday, you can get up tomorrow. That's why Paul writes, we're more than conquerors through Jesus who loves us. In other words, he says, I've been knocked down enough. I know I can get up with God. Tell the person next to you, you can get up, you can get up. <laughs> develops, suffering develops a buoyancy, a, an ability to bounce back. And secondly, suffering uh, amplifies the value of relationships. It, it turns out that that on the other side of his suffering, Greg was closer to his church community. He was closer to his parents. He was, he was, he was, he was enjoying a richness of joy parenting his kids because there's something about suffering as you go through it with people. It deepens your relational bonds. You love people deeper. And then thirdly, there's something about suffering that if you allow God to work with you, that as you come out on the other side, as Job says, he knows the way that I'm going. And when I come through, I'm going to come out gold. When you come out on the other side, tell somebody I'm coming out. Tell somebody I'm coming out, coming out and coming out. Either you're in a suffering moment uh, or you just got out of one or you're going to end up in one. Come on, none of us can avoid suffering. But if you happen to be in one, you just, I need you to remember this. I'm with God. I'm coming and when you get out, typically, 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 you come out with a different set of priorities. It changes your priorities about what's important and what's not and your perspective in terms of how you see life. I buried an amazing woman a couple of, about a weekend, a week ago, and she suffered through cancer and and her husband shared the story that uh, she used to go on walks. And she had worked through the cancer season. And there were flowers on every block. And she got to know every flower on every block. And whenever she would come upon a flower that was fresh anew, each block she would stop and smell the flower. Now what's the insight? The insight there is that she learned through suffering. To learn, she learned that the most important thing you can do is to appreciate the moment that you're in. How many of us are so fixated on that thing we're trying to reach? 
How many of us are so fixated on that accomplishment we're trying to get through? That, that, that what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next year? And we're just focused on trying to get there, get there, get there. And we totally miss the blessings that God has put in our lives in this moment. The love that we have, the resources that we have. And what, what God says is learn how to smell the flowers. Because here's what, here, here's what people learn who go through suffering. They live in the moment. They enjoy the moment. They appreciate the moment. They cherish the moment because they have learned that the next moment is not guaranteed. So to sum it up, you know, the great theologian, Diana Ross put it like this <laughs> when she sung her song. Come on now. I'm coming out and I want the world to see. Come on now. And that's what that's what Greg declared. And that's what we can all declare as we go through suffering with God. This is what Job says. I, I know it may be months. It may be longer. But you just need to know with God, you're going to come out. You're going to come out. Go, even if it means coming out on the other side of death, you will come out. Go. Come on, let's give God a hand. Praise for that good news. All right. Let's take it down the home stretch here. So, those are some insights about how suffering can be a gift to us. Oh, by the way, let me just remember to say this. Because suffering can be helpful, stop robbing your kids of the opportunity to suffer. Huh? Your kids and your grandkids, stop, stop trying to, I'm talking about us parents. I'm a parent. I have a, I have a 13 year old. Come on now. Uh, uh, we need to be careful about trying to make life so easy for these kids. Because we're robbing them of their development. Come on now. Because life out there is hard. And if you don't let them suffer now, they won't be able to handle it later. Facilitate it. God is a great parent. Sometimes he steps to the side and allows development to happen in our lives. Well, let me give you couple insights Job the writer of Job wants us to have about evil itself the first insight he wants us to know about evil and again this shows up twice in chapter one and chapter two is that while God permits evil God never does evil all right you remember in, in verse 11 Satan says, all right, God, why don't you reach out and touch him? Stretch out your hand and touch Job and take away all of his stuff. Right in chapter 2, verse 2, he says it all over again. He says, okay, God, why don't you reach out and, uh, 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 verse 4, why don't you reach out and touch Job and just destroy all of his touch? And, and in plain words, God's basic response is, I don't touch like that. I don't touch in a way to leave evil behind. I don't touch in a way to do evil in the light. That's not my character. It is your character, Satan. So I'm going to step back. Come on now. You can go ahead. Come on. Come on. Come on. But, but, but I don't touch. I'm going to let you touch. 
But when you get through touching, in chapter 42, I'm going to touch. Come on now. And when I touch, y'all ain't listening to me. I'm going to reverse all of your bad touches. The first insight is God permits it, but he doesn't do it. Don't ever say God did evil to you. The second insight is that evil happens on every level of life. I read that long pericope about how, how all this stuff broke through. Here's what Job is trying to teach him and me. We cannot escape suffering because it's on every level. Evil happens in the ecology, the environment. That's what was meant when the text says that fire came from heaven. In other words, lightning struck the land and fire broke out and destroyed property and life. That's, that's evil in the ecology. That's no different than the fires that broke out and destroyed uh, 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 thousands of homes in the North Bay. Evil happens in the ecology. Evil influences sociology or the society. That's what you heard when it says the Sabaeans came in and they robbed and they killed. And that's no different than the 17 kids and, and, and folk who were killed in Florida or the violence that happens in the urban areas or somebody breaking into your car and stealing your stuff. That's the touch of evil. It happens in the sociology. It happens in the economy uh, uh, because Job lost all of his wealth, lost his ability to pay his bills, to take care of things the way he had been taken care of. No different than 2008 when, when the, the economy went into the great uh, 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 recession, they called it, and 800,000 people lost their jobs and their homes and all of that. That's the, that's the touch of evil in the economy. It happens in your biology because boils broke out on Job's body. And so it reminds us that every now and then a cell in your body can act in a way that is opposite than what God intended. And cancer can show up. Uh, there, a chemical imbalance can take place in your, in your physical brain and mental health can come. That's the touch of evil impacting your biology. And what he's saying is, I don't care how rich you are, how cute you are, how, how great you are, sooner or later, suffering is going to catch up to your house. Right. Now, somebody says, well, God, if you all that in a bag of chips, why don't you just wipe out suffering? And why don't you just wipe out evil? Well, be careful what you pray for. Because God starts wiping out evil. Come on now. I read in 1 Peter, it says the judgment of the Lord will begin at the house of the Lord. Come on now. If God starts wiping out evil, be careful. Because he might show up at your house last night. Come on. He might show up in my house. Wait a moment. So God says that's not how I function. I don't destroy in order to eliminate evil. Watch it. I redeem. I redeem. I redeem. I, I, I take the worst that evil can do and I bend it and make it serve my purposes. And I redeem in the process. Isn't that amazing? Come on, celebrate that. Just give. Uh. All right. So evil is everywhere. Can't escape it. That's why Job is so struck. Thirdly, 
And lastly, now this, this if I was, uh, Miss Seaborn, if I was back in Rock's Prayers, I'd shout a little bit right for this next point, but I, I'm right here, so I'm, yeah, that's all right. So I'm just going to tell it. <laughs> the third insight, watch it, is that no matter how bad evil is, no matter how extensive the influence is, it's always limited. Remember, it says it twice. Uh, uh, Satan has to ask for permission. Can I touch? Can, can I touch? Okay, you can touch his stuff, but don't bother his body. All right. Okay, that didn't work. Come back. He still loves you, God. All right, let me just touch his body this time. He'll curse you to your face. All right, you can touch his body. Watch it. But the King James Version said, but don't mess with his soul. The soul translates into life, that immortal dimension of who we are. And, 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 and I love how, 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 how Job demonstrates this. Listen, the text says that, that Satan left the presence of God, but you could still see evil's fingerprints because John 10.10 says that a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you could read there was killing and stealing and destroying and so finally, uh, when he got the worst of the news, my kids have been gone. Come on now. That's as bad as it gets. It says that Job <laughs> tore open his robe and then he shaved his head. That's grief. That's deep mourning. And then it says, oh, I love this. It says, and then he bowed down and what? Worship. Oh, this is an insight here you have to be sure to get lest you miss it. Let me tell you. Listen, 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 listen. How do you worship God when your children's been wiped out? How, how do you worship God when disease break out in your body? How, how do you worship God when your wealth has been eliminated? Uh, 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 how does one worship a God like that? It is that you have to make a choice. And the choice is, do I want God to be my puppet? Or do I want God to be God? Do I want God to serve my agenda? Or do I want God, come on now, to serve his eternal agenda that stretches beyond generations? And, and, and what, what Job was saying is, God, I set you free to be God. And I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing. But I still trust you. So I'm going to worship you in my misery. Oh, you want God to turn your life right side up and inside out? Decide that I'm going to worship him no matter what. That's your giving God freedom to be God. Independent of your best desires. And then lastly, Job says, oh, yeah, he says, here he says, he says, naked. I came into the world. Naked, I'll leave the world. The Lord giveth, and so the Lord can take it away. Here, here, here's what Job's saying. When I was born, I brought only one thing with me. That was my soul. When the word life translates soul, soul translates life. He said, from that point, everything was a plus, and God gave it to me. 
My house was a plus. My kids were a plus. My clothes were a plus. My spouse was a plus. And all that stuff was added. And he said, you know what? I realized that when I die, come on now, come on now. I can't take any of that with me. The only thing that I'm going to have is my soul. Oh, God, I'll hear you. Come on, think about it now. Come on now. Come on now. That when we leave, somebody else is going to be wearing your clothes. Come on now. Somebody else is going to be living in your house. Come on now. I suspect I'll die before my wife dies, and, and, and she'll have the ability to marry somebody. She's going to have to marry way down. But she can, man, she's going to be married way down, y'all. But she can marry somebody. Come on now. Mike, that's how I live. I try to be the best husband I can. So when I go, she got to marry now. <laughs> so, oh, what's the lesson? Let me wrap it up here. Jesus says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He says, but I have come. That you might have life and that more abundantly. It's like standing on the seashore and the waves just keep coming, just keeps coming. Well, uh, uh, Sister Seaborn, you'll remember this, Elder Seaborn, that uh, uh, Corey Johnson back in Rock's Press, a young man who grew up with my son and part of Fitzpatrick family, an amazing young man who took a wrong turn. He ended up being around the wrong crowd. He made some mistakes. He ended up in jail. He went this and that and finally got out and he ended up standing in my office in church. And I said, Corey, you're better than what you're doing. I said, Corey, you, you, you are meant for more than who you're being. And when we finished talking, tears came down. And, he, and, 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 and I said, he said, I know, I, I want to do better. I said, are you ready to give your life, your soul back to Jesus? He said, absolutely. And we had a prayer where he recommitted his soul, the essence of who he was, back to the hands of Jesus. And then for the next three weeks, Corey came to church every Sunday. He was late, but he made it. And, and, and tell somebody, you just need to get there. Come on, tell them you just need to get there. Uh, and, and he brought his girlfriend and he brought his kids with him. And, and he was in church. And after the third week, three o'clock in the morning, I got a call. He was behind his father's house and somebody shot him dead. When I had got ready to preach his funeral, I was just broken up about it. And, uh, and I was sitting behind the pulpit and I was saying, God, what do you want me to say? And then the Lord dropped John 10.10 in my heart. The thief comes to kill, to steal. And I said, I got it, Lord. And Jesus said, but I've come to give. I said, I got it. And so when I got up to preach, I, I said, I said, first of all, John 10, 10 says, the thief, the evil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So let's make it clear. This boy lying here is not the work of God. God didn't do this. The enemy did this. And I said, the thief came to kill, and he killed his body came to steal, and it stole his earthly future. Came to destroy his soul. But the problem is, he got here three weeks too late. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout thank you, Jesus. 
Come on now, he got here because that boy gave his soul to Jesus. And so at the end of the day, I'm just here to tell you, you need to give your soul to Jesus. The essence of your life to Jesus. Those of us whose souls belong to Jesus, we're able to say, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. If your soul belongs to Jesus, come on now, you're able not just to die well, but you can live well. You're able to speak up for justice even if they threaten your life. If your soul belongs to Jesus, come on now, you can speak out for right even if they threaten to take your job. If your soul belongs to Jesus, you can take a disease and a suffering moment and make it a marvelous display of God's love and God's faithfulness. But your soul needs to belong to Jesus. So that's where we leave it. Whatever you do, give Jesus your soul. And you'll come through whatever the suffering. You'll come out on the other side. Go. Give God a hand, praise.